This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. The first reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 66 to 71. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me, and if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You say that I am? Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from Daniel chapter 7, another long one. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was laying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me, were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was a lion, and it had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side, on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth, and it crushed and devoured its victims, and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it, this horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. 
As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were ablaze. A river of fly fire was flowing, coming out from behind it, before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch, because of the boastful words of the horn. Because of the boastful words the horn was speaking, I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was not one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier one. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away, 
and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship him and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Hear the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let me pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our paths, and strength to our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated and have Daniel 7 open in front of you as well as the sermon outline. I should help you along the way. It looks like I've got my work cut out for me today. Well, if you saw the Sydney Morning Herald this week, you might have seen the reports predicting war with China in the coming years. Uh, the war with the Ukraine is depleting Western military resources, leaving space for China to attack Taiwan. And if that happens, the claim is that the USA would have no choice but to retaliate, pulling its allies, including us, into war with China. Now, whatever the truth of what might unfold, honestly, it, it's a pretty terrifying prospect. I normally try not to kind of let myself uh, be rattled by headlines, but uh, I felt a little sick all morning after reading it. Now, of course, the war in the Ukraine itself has devastated that country for over a year, and now the gas has been turned off in Europe, and we're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen, what Putin's going to do next. It feels like after so many years and decades of relative peace, it feels like the ground is shaking under our feet. But it might be for you that this stuff uh, doesn't really register because you have your own terrifying beasts in your life that terrorise you and take up all your vision of a more personal kind. And that has been the case for too long. So what does God's word have to say about this in a world like this when terrifying beasts emerge from the earth? How can we make sense of them and what will God do about them? Can I just get this microphone turned down a little bit? It's just ringing a bit. Thank you. How can we make sense of them? Well, the first part of Daniel, which we've been looking at over the last few weeks, Daniel's already given us some, some insight into worldly powers. And the message about in the first six chapters of Daniel have mostly been about living a faithful life to God and living wisely in the world, whatever pressure we might face. But in Daniel 7, things take a bit of a turn. Things change. The temperature gets cranked up. And instead of stories about Daniel and his friends and them relating to the Babylonian powers, instead we, have, we jump forward about four centuries to intense persecution under the terrifying reign of the Greek Seleucid king Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And instead of these entertaining stories about Daniel and his friends, we get a series of wild symbolic visions that Daniel sees are full of fearsome beasts. And the language shifts too. It begins to shift from Aramaic, which is most of the first half of the book of Daniel is written in, 
an outsider language that most people spoke to Hebrew, an insider language, the language of the Jews. And what we have here in this second half of Daniel is quite literally apocalyptic literature. Now, this was a kind of Jewish visionary literature that was common in the centuries around Jesus' birth. Now, in the Bible, we can see it in the second half of Daniel, as well as in the book of Revelation. Now, apocalypse, we tend to think, oh, wow, some, some big inbreaking at the end of time, a final judgment. But the Greek word apocalypsis means a kind of uncovering, a revelation, which is where the book of Revelation gets its name, a disclosure. And so what we get in Daniel 7 to 12, it uncovers a parallel spiritual reality that stands behind the normal physical reality of the world. It pulls back the curtains on our mundane world and shows us the sinister spiritual forces that are at work. And sometimes, yes, it is about the future, but it's also about the present about the continuous present, about the now. So for Jews in Daniel's time, this vision, in all its wildness, spoke into their alarming situation. But it also speaks into ours. And so this morning, I want to to help us to uncover the reality of the world around us. I want us to look at three parts of this symbolic chapter. First, the beasts. And then this ancient one who sits on the throne, and then this one who is like a son of man. First, the beasts. Daniel looks and he sees four winds, which is very unusual, winds from every direction, churning up the great sea. Now, the sea was an image of chaos in the ancient world. It's what God had to tame at the creation to bring about his order. And now this sea symbolizes the chaos of the earth. God created the world good, but now it roils and boils with chaos and threat. And so out of this sea, out of the earth, come four beasts, a lion with the wings of an eagle, but then that is stood up like a human being. And then a bear on its, kind of awkwardly on its side with ribs hanging out of its mouth. And a leopard with four wings and four heads. And then finally, this final beast with ten horns. Maybe something like a, uh, a carnivorous elephant, the way it tramples and chomps, crushing and devouring its victims. And so we learn that these terrifying beasts, that they represent four kingdoms that arise out of the earth. Fierce and predatory nations. Now, these are hybrid animals that break the laws of order in God's creation. And it's possible to align them with physical ancient kingdoms. Uh, And there are some likenesses. Babylon was majestic and strong, like a lion and an eagle. The bear, kind of slow and ungainly, but also strong and potentially fierce. And on its side... uh, perhaps deformed or poised, ready to spring, could resemble the Medes or Persians, the ribs, uh, the kings who the king had to displace to find his own power. And then the swift-winged leopard, 
Perhaps mirrors the extraordinary expansion of Cyrus the Persian or Alexander the Great. Then finally, that chomping and stamping beast with horns looks a lot like the Greek Antiochus IV Epiphanes. But, you know, as much as you can draw these parallels, and perhaps that's where they got the imagery from, that's not really what apocalyptic is about. Because these four These four kingdoms, these four beasts, are a way of representing the kingdoms of the world in their entirety, as a whole. And so each could resemble any powerful nation of any time. The leopard not only resembles the expansion of Persia and, and of Greece, but also Napoleonic France or Nazi Germany. And nations today still represent themselves by predatory animals, Maybe because of Daniel 7, I don't know. The Russian bear, the Chinese dragon, the American eagle. The beasts, the point is, the beasts might change over the centuries, but that power and that violence continues on and on. And so for us, this means that beyond the present threat of Russia and potentially China, our world is full of terrorizing beasts. They were present at the gas chambers and at the killing fields. They prevail over Christians in the Sudan and North Korea. And they can also take on all sorts of other forms, personal and institutional. For example, communism and capitalism both show oppressive, beastly faces at times. And so can, tragically, our places of work and even our places of worship. And many of you, I think, in your lives can think of the power of beastly faces in your own life. And so as much as I hate to say it, this vision tells us that in this world, it will always be this way. It will always be this way. But there's another layer here, because despite the chaos and destruction, did you notice that each of these beasts, especially the first three, are actually given and commanded by God. The lion eagle is placed on two feet, two feet and given a human mind. It's given honor and responsibility. And the bear is told, get up and eat your fill. And the leopard is given authority to rule. The point here is that world nations and powers, despite their terror, are always somehow under the rule of God. At least in a way that he gives them permission to use their power for a time. And sometimes, as they are called to do, they they express great wisdom and care. But the fourth beast, you know, that is different, isn't it? Like so many terrifying beastly powers, there are no redeeming qualities in this one. It tramples and tears and devours. Those ten horns symbolize extraordinary power. And one horn emerges with human eyes and boastful words. And if animals kind of represent human powers in apocalyptic literature, then human elements can represent the divine. These human features and ability to speak signify incredible arrogance and divine pretense, challenging God himself. 
And once again, this is likely Antiochus Epiphanes, who brutally oppressed the Jews in the second century BC. But it also, this figure also anticipates any number of world leaders and ruthless powers or people. And so when this kind of power bears down, it can seem to challenge the power of God himself. And it's at this point that God seems the least in control. When you wonder, how long can this go on? How long, O Lord, will you allow this to happen? Will you let it carry on forever? So what will happen? What will God do? Well, we see that in the second part of the vision. As Daniel looks, as Daniel looks out over the terrifying beasts, another image appears. Instead of the chaos, there is calm. The thrones are calmly set out, and this ancient one takes his seat. This is an image of a divine courtroom. The God of heaven and earth takes his seat and sits in judgment. Now, unlike the unclean hybrid beasts, this one, his white clothes, absolutely pure, and he's luminous with splendor and majesty. And unlike the swift beasts who grab onto power and they rise and they fall, this one has a power that lasts forever and ever. Its dominion extends to the end of time. And unlike the chaos and disorder of the beast, this one has a deep wisdom and rules with it. Now these beasts, they were powerful, but this one's throne is ablaze. And a river of fire issues out from underneath. And his army of multitudes and multitudes surround him. Now this picture, it draws on all sorts of Mesopotamian mythical imagery. But where all the myths? What happens in the myths is you get these struggles and conflicts of power. Of order versus disorder. Of good versus evil. This endless struggle. But did you notice? There's no struggle here. There's no contest. This ancient of days strips the beast of their authority, the beast of their authority, and allows them to live only for a time. And the great terrifying beast, it is allowed to terrorize for a time, but soon it is slain and its body is cast and burned and destroyed in a blazing fire. Now, whatever images of God that we tend to have in our heads whatever sanitized images we have, I think this really challenges them. God isn't merely our spiritual mentor leading us to a life of self-improvement. He isn't merely our therapist, someone just to call on when things get difficult. And he isn't just a, the tradition we follow, another piece of mental furniture. He's before all things, above all things, Awesome and dangerous, mysterious and destructive. He is worthy of all our worship and love and fear. But the real point here is that God now comes in judgment. And so for us, whatever terrifying powers that we might see in the world, whether out there or personally, each will fade 
before the almighty presence and judgment of our God. People often think of judgment as a dark and negative concept. Personally, I struggle to speak of it without a deep sense of sadness and fear. But the Bible is very clear. And so, in that respect, we shouldn't shy away from it. But even so, in this passage, the point of speaking about judgment is that it is the source of great hope. When you look at the terrors in the world and in your life, you long for justice, don't you? That things would be put right. We ask, how long will this last? And will God ever do something about it? And the answer in passages like this is, yes, God will do something about it. He is doing something about it. Justice will come, whether through temporal means in the present or sometime off in the future or right off at the end of time, at the final judgment. Every act of horror, every act of violence and arrogance will be brought to account. And notice to this judgment, it's not harsh and chaotic and arbitrary. This God who judges is pure, holy, and wise above all else. So we can be sure that things will be put right. Now, if all these earthly powers are going to pass away and be judged, what's going to happen? Will this just leave a vacuum? A power vacuum for something else, a fifth kingdom to take its place. Well, finally, we see this one like a son of man. Now, this phrase, son of man, in in one respect, it's just a way of speaking about uh, a mere human, a mere mortal. But what we see here is not someone who is a mere mortal. This is someone who is like a son of man. This is someone who is a divine, human-like figure who comes from the heavens on the clouds and is allowed even to approach this flaming God like no one else is and come near to his presence. And he is given an everlasting glory and dominion that lasts forever, will not pass away. But notice too the contrast. He doesn't seize power like the boastful horn. Instead, he is given all power and authority and dominion. And he doesn't hold it for himself. He shares it with the holy ones of God. And so who is it? Who is this talking about? Well, as far as Daniel is concerned, it's very unclear. This one rules over the earth and the beasts, a bit like Adam and Eve should have, but it's not exactly another Adam. And this one rules as a worldwide king, but it's not exactly just another earthly king like David. And this one shares his rule with people, but it's not simply Israel. This isn't humanity saving humanity. This isn't another earthly kingdom. It's something else. In the Gospels, when Jesus spoke about himself, he didn't use titles that we tend to immediately grab onto. We tend to speak about Jesus as the Lord, as Messiah, as Son of God, as the Christ. You know what Jesus called himself most often? Son of man. And in one respect, it was a formal way of just referring to oneself in that time and culture. But Jesus was also drawing from Daniel chapter 7 to identify with this son of man. 
He was the divine one. He was and is the divine one who went on the clouds of heaven. He rules over all the beasts and every nation of the world as the second Adam and as the Messiah King. He's the one who represented Israel and brought salvation and victory in the face of Israel's Roman oppressors. But this son of man did all of this in a way that Daniel didn't see. You know, in in Mark chapter 10, when John and James come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, when you come into your glory, let us sit at your right hand and your left. And Jesus says to them, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so it was through, paradoxically, his suffering and his death and then his resurrection that Jesus judged these powers and has defeated every power and authority and even defeated those powers that hold the key to that eternal enemy, death. He defeated sin and he defeated Satan. And when he ascended on the clouds, he ascended to the right hand of the Father to receive that glory and that dominion and to take up his very purpose in all its fullness, to be the humble, wise and self-giving ruler of all things. And then when he returns on the clouds, he will bring justice, final justice, and he will call on each of us who trust in him to share in his glory. And so if you want peace and security instead of alarm and fear, you need to look to this one. Look to this son of man. When you feel afraid, trapped by forces about which you can do nothing, look to this one. Even though things look hopeless, he still has all things in the palm of his hand and he judges and will judge with justice and wisdom and purity. When you feel overwhelmed by the power and arrogance of the, of the beasts around you, look to this one who is lowly and humble of heart, who gave himself for you and invites you to rule with him and rescues you from the dominion of darkness. And when you are afraid of death or war, look to him who died and rose so that even though you die, you will live and share his everlasting glory. And when you long for a better world or feel that it's just too much to get a handle on and and make a difference in, remember that it's not humanity that saves humanity. As As good as it is to seek justice and mercy, yes, we want to do that. But lasting hope is not in human governments or our projects. He is the lasting hope who builds a new humanity and a new creation out of the chaos. And he invites us, each of us, to trust him and enjoy his power and his presence forever. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, You are the majestic Son of Man who rules over all things eternally and you gave your life to defeat every power 
Give us an abiding sense of peace and confidence in your wisdom and justice so we might live quiet and faithful lives whatever we might face. Glory be to the Father, to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.